Released on Sunday, July 24th, 2016. This Agile Life, episode 114. You can't handle the truth. This episode of This Agile Life is brought to you by Agile Dev East, the premier industry conference for agile development professionals. To find out more, go to adceast.techwell.com. The software industry transforms more and more every day. Agile methods are quickly replacing traditional ones. The question is, are you agile enough? This podcast is devoted to agile and lean software development. Time to welcome your agile coaches on This Agile Life. Hey, I'm John Sextro. I'm Craig Buchak. And I'm Lee McCauley. And we are dun, 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 the Three Amigos. Yeah, we're trying a new intro for the show, so we hope you enjoy it. Let us know. We'd love to hear your feedback, of course. And tonight we're going to actually be talking about uh, a topic on feedback, trust, transparency, truth, and in sense of full transparency, I'm giving, a, I'm, I'm planning a talk, I'm writing a talk that I might give later this year if the talk is accepted. So I thought I would, you know, kind of dog food this on us here tonight, this topic, and see how it goes. One of the things that I wanted to do to kind of set the stage, guys, was tell a story uh, about a, a client of mine from the past where there was some transparency issues, and then maybe use that as a as a way to get started with our discussion tonight. Does that sound good? Yep. Awesome. Good. Okay. So the story uh, goes like this. I guess when I've worked at places, I've traditionally seen that there's like three or four kind of ways that people feel about transparency. One is that they just, they don't even pretend like they want transparency. They're just like, shut up. I'll give you your opinion when I need it. You know, th those sort of places. I'm sure you guys have been there before. And then the other ones I think are the most dangerous and they're the ones where they think they might be transparent, but they're really just kidding themselves, you know, and then there are the companies where they really are transparent. So like I said, the worst of all those are where they think they're transparent, but really are not. And I had a situation where I was working at a client and it was early going at the client. And I was trying to figure out with our client, how transparent were they? I had already started to feel from conversations with the people on the team and through very early retrospectives that we had that they, you know, we were kind of bumping our head on various safety issues where somebody wasn't entirely comfortable with being truly transparent. And I could see them holding back. So that was the first indication to me that there was a possible transparency issue. There was a possible trust issue. Uh, there was, you know, a safety issue. So uh, I had had a conversation with the leader for the project. And it was my first chance to sit down with that leader and talk about things that I had noticed. And every time I do this, I'm trying to feel that particular person out and figure out, what level of transparency are they really ready for? And I always start by asking, how transparent do you want me to be? And almost, almost without exception, the person always says, oh, 100% transparent. You know, don't hold anything back. That's what, because that's what they think you want to hear, right? That's what they're supposed yeah. to answer. Well, that's, that doesn't always work out well. So I always start with kind of dipping my toe, pick like some innocuous little thing like the color of the carpet in the office or something or you know something that has really who cares and I start to give some feedback on that and immediately this leader he goes into 
explanation mode. And I call that stage one, where they want to start explaining to you, here's why that's the way it is. I'm just, I'm not, uh, you know, I don't want to give you a whole lot of detail, but I'm just telling you this is why something is the way it is. So you keep having the conversation a little further and you get a little more nitpicky about it. And then they go into defensive mode, stage two, you know, uh, what's the, the stage for the nuclear launching the missiles? DEFCON 2. That's it. <laughs> they go into DEFCON 2, defensive mode. And it's like, well, the carpet is brown because we don't want it to show dirt and the, all these other reasons, right? And then uh, you, you push on it a little more and they move into DEFCON 3, which is denial mode. The carpet is not brown. You're wrong. If that's not the way it is. And uh, th- that, was, that was my experience. And once I had that simple first conversation, it was really, really apparent to me that this, this place was just not ready for transparency. And unfortunately, in this particular case, it was because the leader wasn't really willing to open themselves up for, uh, for the, the fact of, or, or for the sake of being transparent, for the sake of allowing feedback in, for hearing the hard truths, even though the organization kind of put themselves out there as we want to be transparent, we want feedback. And so that's the story. That's the situation. Um, <clears throat> in light of in light of this story, and in light of uh, you know w- the discussions that we've had in the past about truth and trust and transparency, I thought we could start to talk about this. And I wanted to talk at first a little bit about from my perspective because one th- one lesson that I learned very early in my career was uh, that it really went a long way with my leadership if I was very open to constructive criticism. And so I took this approach early on that constructive criticism was really a gift. And if I could digest that criticism, even as hard as it might be to hear, that I could improve. I could also show that I'm open to constructive criticism and show that I'm willing to try to get better, that I'm, tr- I'm willing to try to improve. And I think that willingness to improve has really helped, helped me throughout my career and almost to a negative effect where at times I've been too willing to try and change course or to listen to someone's feedback. And, and over time, I kind of had to adjust a little bit. Craig, what do you think about that? So I, I don't know that I take criticism all that well, um, but I do try to always be improving. So, so maybe that helps, but I do have situations I can recall where, you know, I didn't receive criticism very well. Um, but I take a different tactic and that is to try to be transparent up front and like admit my own mistakes and, you know, admit where I've done this thing wrong that we're going to talk about. Uh, so that hopefully people can learn from my mistake instead of having to make the mistake themselves. So you will tell people maybe up front that you have, you have an issue there and that that's actually being transparent, right? Saying I kind of have an issue with being transparent or taking criticism, if you will. Yeah. Well, maybe not about that one, but, you know, exposing my own issues to the group uh, builds trust. Absolutely. Lee, what do you think? Is, is it possible, is the question that I have here, is, is it actually possible that there can be too much truth uh, or transparency within a group? Um, I'm not sure if the question 
is necessarily correct. Um, of course, there can't be too much truth, but that's not really the issue here. The issue isn't about how much truth you have. It's about how people handle that truth. You can't right? handle the truth. <laughs> you need me on that wall. Yeah. Um, you need me in that code. Uh, but I think the, the that's really what people have to get through. And, and that's why this is so tough is because it's not about um, hearing the truth or hearing what someone thinks is the truth and they don't really have the full picture or whatever. It's about how you handle it. And so for me, I have to, it's taken years and I'm not even sure I'm there yet, but it's taken years for me to, uh, to be able to uh, not get in that defensive mode. Oh my gosh. Uh, a few years ago I was in this project and uh, looking back on it, I can look back and say, that's the reason why my team never had that grade of uh, retros. Um, and uh, we, we didn't really gel well as a team uh, because I didn't set the right example of anytime anything came out as a, in the retro, I was the team lead. And so it was my responsibility as far as I was concerned. And so I got, um, while, while I did, I think I don't, I don't think I showed it that much. I still got defensive and people felt it. And so then everybody closed down. And, uh, <clears throat> so it's really about what Craig said, which is being able to, to look at yourself and, and, uh, take the criticism. I, I want to talk about truth though. Um, I, I don't believe there is a truth. I think everyone has their own perspective. And so, there are different truths from different perspectives um, and, and acknowledging that and being open to that idea will help reduce a lot of conflict. I agree with you on, on that. And, and I also agree with what Lee said about there can't be too much truth. So, so let me be truthful or honest. Let me be honest to both you and Lee at this point and Craig and say that I think the right word is really honesty, but truth, trust, and transparency just sound better than honesty, trust, and transparency. Uh, that makes sense. Yeah. So I think what we're really talking about is honesty and uh, hopefully as, as part of that honesty, we, we get to what is truth. And I think truth, to, truth is sort of individualized because my truth or uh, my true emotion, my true side of, of seeing the way things are is maybe different from yours. Right. But if I'm honest, I will, I will be willing to share my truth. And I like what Lee was starting, where Lee was starting to go with, uh, establishing and coming, coming to a point where a group can feel comfortable giving their honest opinion, sharing that what is their truth being transparent about what they're seeing. I, I've, I recently was at a conference where Josh Karievsky was talking about something he's coined as modern agile. And it's kind of an evolution on, on the, uh, the main tenets of, of, of agility. And one of, one of the things that I really latched onto and what he was saying was that we need to make safety a prerequisite with our teams. But what I told him and what I've told people that I've spoken with about this before is, boy, that's 
very much easier said than done. And how can we, you know, I put the challenge out there to him and to others and say, what is it that we need to do to establish safety? Because I just feel like it's, it's so difficult and it's, it kind of the need for it and the way to do it really has to permeate a couple of levels of the organization. What have you guys seen in terms of how, how you can go about establishing safety on teams? I think for me, it really is about um, my personal development and then, and then allowing uh, the rest of the team to see that and, and hopefully um, uh, come along with me because I can't, there's nothing I can do to, uh, to soften a blow or to, um, to about some, some um, being uh, honest about some point, um, giving them feedback, criticism, or, uh, or a good, good things as well. I guess it's, it's also the, I take the same thing. I hope they don't take this the wrong way. Um, uh, as I do with my kids, which is you got to give the good feedback along with the, the criticism. And I don't mean that in that, Oh, you're standing right in front of them and find something good to say. No, I mean like on a day-to-day basis, when someone does something, do something that, that, uh, acknowledges that in a, in a nice subtle sort of way, a way that says, um, I really appreciate that. Not just, um, I am going out of my way to, to give you an award or whatever, you know? Yeah. I've, I've talked to before on the, on the show about the shit sandwich where you have bad news and you put it between a compliment and another compliment, but really those compliments should be, and those accolades should be, you know, hopefully daily or some more frequent period than, than when you have bad news to deliver or a criticism to deliver. Um, and I think if you've, established a relationship where you openly talk about the good things um, opens you up to trust uh, to be honest about the bad things as well. As long as you intermix them, the problem that I've seen occasionally is you have a team that they're going really great at the beginning and everything is going great. And all those retros are all the good stuff is coming out and then, you know, the bad stuff you're trying to get stuff, but it really isn't that much bad stuff and everybody's great. And when something does happen, they're so used to giving all the good stuff that suddenly given they feel like they're they're breaking a, a mold or they're 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 harming a, a picture or something by giving you bad uh, bad news or bad feedback, and uh, and so you have to almost come up with something that you can occasionally uh, note that oh we need to make, do that better all the time, just like you do the good stuff. Well, you should be having a retro to find things to improve. I mean, that should, maybe those aren't bad things, but they're, you know, room for improvement. And I think room for improvement helps you take criticism. If you're used to uh, that, that need to improve. I think the thing that I've seen that is the, is the one thing that holds people back the most is fear of, Fear of, I think, retribution might be the right word. It's fear that something that you provide as feedback in a retrospective 
will either be held against you or it will be held against you and your team or it will be used against you and the team at some future point in time. And so because there's not enough there's there's not enough trust, there's not the safe you haven't established that safety net around the team that says we're going to be able to share our thoughts and we're going to be able to provide our feedback without fear of that occurring, then that's, that's the number one limiting factor. And it's the easiest thing in the world to start off with a, a set of ground rules within a retrospective and say things like, we agree we won't hold things that people say against other people. We agree that things won't leave this room. We agree that this, and we agree that that it's easy to say those words, but I think it's often hard for people to believe those words, especially if there's past precedent been set that things that have been said within the team have, have caused waves at leadership level. See, I think, I don't think that's the major issue. I think the major issue is, at an individual level, uh, fearing that the other people on the team will see them uh, differently um, and will judge them. I think it's all a personal, mostly a personal thing. Well, I think, I think John's right that you do. I mean, there's a reason that we call it building trust because it, you know, it does have to build up. You can't just get trust. Oh, sure. Uh, All that stuff is, is absolutely necessary, but I don't think from a, from a fear perspective, the reason why people mostly don't give good feedback in a, uh, or don't take good feedback in a retrospective is not because of fear of retribution. It's fear of their own, uh, team members, uh, uh, looking at them and, and judging them. Oh, I'll, I'll buy that. I think, I think I, I don't know, maybe it's, it's probably half and half or it probably varies per person. I bet you there's people that are more worried about how they appear and more people that are more worried about getting fired. So Lee, are but you, I, yeah, I think both of those are important. Lee, is it, are you saying that you're, what you're seeing is that people are afraid to give feedback because they think that by giving that feedback, they sort of put themselves on an Island where they're now the guy that has said something and the rest of the team maybe holds that against them or uh, treats them differently because they shared because they shared feedback like that? Is that what it is? Or, or that they, they also don't want to uh, receive the feedback, right? If, if you, if you have this atmosphere of openness, then that means you're going to get some eventually. And so I don't want, I'm, I'm playing devil's advocate. I don't really want to make that the atmosphere here because then I'm going to, whenever I do something wrong, it's going to come back on me and I'm not worried about my boss. I'm worried about the guy that sits next to me and, and changing his attitude towards me. Right. I get it. So the, it's the fear that if I say something now, someone is going to say something about me in the future. If I screw up, then, then somebody's going to call me out. Uh, but to some extent, that's, that's sort of what we, we want to, where we want to get to, right? We want to get to a place where it's comfortable to both uh, to both point to something and say, I believe that this particular thing is an issue. And then f- to have someone else also be able to, to point to something that I've been involved with as that individual and, and, and say, Hey, there's a, there's an issue with that. And part of that is what Craig talked about, which is um, point out your own flaws first 
that's one way you get to that. Um, the other way is by uh, when those things happen, and they will eventually, make sure that you treat it as it's a team issue and that that no blame thing that we have like in retros, um, that should that should be uh, held sacrosanct that uh, it's not a, an individual's issue, even if the person owned up to it, even if everybody was pointing a finger, a, they shouldn't have been. and that's a hard that's part of the problem if that happens. Um, but then you got to treat it as a as a team issue and deal with it as a team. Right. So the point about no blame means that we're not going to, ha- we don't have to name a name to say that there's a problem, but we, what we just have to point out is that there was an undesirable outcome because something occurred. And then what we really want to f- focus on is how to prevent the, the undesirable outcome from occurring again. So what guardrails can you put in place? What, uh, you know, etc. What can you do in the future so that you don't have that undesirable outcome again? Even, even so, the person that did that knows who you're talking about. So there's still that trust issue, sensitivity. Um, so you do have to tread lightly sometimes. And, and you have to build that trust still, even when you're not naming names, that, mm-hmm. that you're not, you know, secretly, you know, holding them blame even though, you know, out loud, you're not. And so this is, that's exactly where I think our limit as coaches may end because uh, I can't affect how someone reacts to those situations as much as I would like or at all. Um, That's all on them, right? I I I can provide an example and do my best, but that's, I'm not sure what else I can do. Do you guys have other suggestions? You, you you can soften the blow. I mean, we Amos and I have told the story a couple times about an impromptu retrospective and I, and someone had screwed something up that Amos and I had screwed up the week and the previous week before. And, you know, we're like, oh, well, we should stop screwing this up. But, you know, the person who screwed it up most recently felt guilty and felt like he's being attacked. And, you know, it, it was it was difficult to get him over that. And we had to work to get him over that. And it wasn't just like, Oh, you get, need to get over it. No. I mean, you have to, you have to consider his emotions and, and uh, I, I don't know how to say it, not, not coddle him, but you know, make sure that his emotions are being taken into respect and um, getting through them. I don't have a problem with, with that particularly Craig, but one of the things that I sometimes struggle with, is I guess I don't struggle with it, but it just baffles me that any individual would, including myself, would ever expect that they're not that they're not going to inevitably make mistakes, that they're not going to that they're somehow going to be able to per- execute perfectly, right? That they they won't break the build at some point, or they won't ship a piece of code that that takes Southwest airlines down for half of a day or whatever happened today with, with Southwest airlines, you know, I mean, who cares? So what you, you're not, you're not perfect. You're, you're going to make, make mistakes. Why did we hold ourselves to this, such a, a, a unattainable standard of being perfect where we think that, you know, 
I'm never going to make a mistake, and I'm, I don't ever expect anybody to point out one of my mistakes. Well, it's one thing to have a mistake pointed out. It's another thing to be called out in front of other people. It's the same thing, isn't it? No, I mean, well, some some people might be better off with the manager coming up and saying, hey, you made a mistake. Um, we need to figure out how to work through that versus at a retrospective, like, hey, a mistake was made and, uh, and you know, that guy's in the corner feeling guilty and like, oh my God, I, you know, everyone's looking at me and I'm embarrassed. Maybe the first thing we should all do as coaches is walk in and break the build, you know, like just, <laughs> just boof the build, break a test, push it, say, oh, look, I, Hey, I screwed up the build. Sorry. If anybody wants to criticize me for it, go ahead. You know, I'm, I'm on record as having broken the build there. We've, we've now, now, proved- that, now that you're on record as doing that on purpose, you, you've just lost all trust once you do it. Well, nobody really listens to this podcast. Oh, no. I, I just, I, I feel like people put an unnecessary expectation on themselves that, oh, I can never make a mistake. I can never be wrong. I, I always, I always have to be right. It's not that it's, everybody knows that they they make mistakes and it's not that they're putting that pressure on themselves. It's not that they think that they're going to be perfect, but they want to be viewed as, as perfect by others. It, there's a, there's a significant difference. And that's why in the middle of a retrospective may not go over as well for some people, depending on how they take it. I've tried to soften things before. And one of the things that Craig was pointing out was how do you soften the message where I'd say if somebody, for instance, broke the build, like we were talking about, I could say, you know, if we broke the build, the build was broken. So maybe don't say we, the build was broken. I could have broken it just as easily as anybody else could have. And the fact that it broke means that there's a problem or that there's a, there's an area for us to improve. So it was broken. Doesn't matter who broke it. Any of us could have broken it. So what can we do in the future to avoid this, this inevitability of breaking the build and kind of make it an, uh, an objective, doing an objective analysis on there's this thing that could happen. It did happen. Let's, what can we do now to prevent it in the future? Who cares who's, who did it? I could have done it, right? If I point that out, does that help? It all helps, but there's only so much you can do, right? Yeah, you have to, I mean, you have to use your, your emotional intelligence, I guess, to, to know how to deal with individuals and, and their feelings. Um, I, I don't know that passive voice is always the answer, actually, you know, mistakes were made. I, I don't know if that's, you know, how about we made mistakes? I think that's a little bit better instead of you made a mistake. Um, I think I could say I made a mistake or we made mistakes, but I prefer not to say you made a mistake. Okay. I, I think I've gotten on this soapbox before and I'll, I'll do it one more time in case anybody missed it and ask you guys to be brutally honest with your feedback here uh, on me. I, I feel like if, well, I don't even, I don't even know. We'll, we'll see how this goes, but I kind of have the opinion and maybe it's my, my history of being very open to feedback and, and that sort of thing. I mean, if somebody would point out to me that I had screwed something up, I'm, I'm okay with that. Um, I feel like today that, in, in this day of everybody gets a participation medal for, you know, playing in the, playing in the, 
in the box in, in the bowling match or playing hockey. Everybody gets a participation medal. We don't we don't call out the winners. We don't call out the losers. That this is sort of contributing to this environment of never wanting to tell someone that they did something wrong. And and I think that uh, ultimately that means you're also not striving to be better. I mean, every that way it's like, well, if you just if you suck but you tried, that's good enough. But that's not good enough, is it? Uh, if if that's for some, a lot of people, that's going to satisfy them, right? And we don't want them to be satisfied. We want them to strive to better themselves, um, because in a lot of cases, people can go uh, and be a lot better than they think they can be, but they've never tried. And how do we give people space uh, to try to be better than what they are? It's almost like the giving people the permission to fail, right? Or the the permission to learn, which I think fail and learn are kind of synonymous. How do we give people that space? Is space to fail the same as space to improve, maybe? I think it is. I, I You know, how do you do that, though? I think so. There are some things that, like in retrospectives, occasionally we have the shout outs, right? Uh, you've probably seen these. Um I I try to take things that people tried to do and then the for like a spike for example that they spent a day and a half on and completely failed right um or or they uh we found out that one method of uh of doing a a login was incorrect it didn't work out well so um, we had to go back and completely change the design. And I like to do those as the shout outs. Look, we learned something that we, we have an entire thing that we just learned about that, uh, uh, that we know not to do or, uh, or point out the good parts that we learned about all of that. And so make it into something good as opposed to something bad. Um, again, it's all just a little piece of the whole picture. That reminds me of the uh, Thomas Edison quote, and I, I don't know if it's apocryphal, but you know he had five thousand light bulbs that didn't work. You know he five thousand different ways he found that a light bulb didn't work, and uh, someone said, "Well, don't you feel like a failure that you have five thousand light bulbs that you, that you don't work?" And he's like, "No, that's five thousand things I don't have to try now." Yeah, I think I think he said those are. Uh, I now know five thousand ways not to make a light bulb. <laughs> yeah. Something like that. And that's important, right? Because you have to, when you're, when you're inventing something new, when you're doing something that's hard, you're not always going to get it right the first time. And it's important to be able to learn what didn't work as much as it is important to learn what did work. If you, if he got lucky and got it right the first time, how would he know that those other ways didn't work without trying them? Right. So there's value in having and having done a thing and, and having watched that thing fail and then understanding why it failed and stepping back for a second, looking at what you did, looking at the outcome, the failed outcome, and then figuring out what could I do differently? What could I do better in the future to avoid that negative outcome from occurring? But without that failure, we don't have the opportunity to learn. Before we go on, let me tell you about our sponsor. Agile Dev East is the premier industry event covering the latest techniques and topics in the Agile universe. Learn both foundational knowledge and new methodologies to develop skills, supercharge knowledge, 
and re-energize your career growth. This year's event will take place November 13th through the 18th in Orlando, Florida. As an added bonus, the event is co-located with Better Software and DevOps East conferences. Your one registration automatically gives you access to all three programs. This means you can choose from over 100 learning and networking opportunities to build a customized week of learning that fits you and your organization's specific needs. Explore the program at adceast.techwell.com. Also, don't miss the Agile Leadership Summit at the end of the conference. The summit is a full day of in-depth discussion about increasing leadership mastery with the opportunity to learn new ways to challenge your personal leadership growth and to lead in your organizational challenges. This Agile Life listeners receive an exclusive discount of up to $600 off with code AGILELIFE when they register by the September 16th Super Early Bird deadline at adceast.techwell.com. Well, why don't, we, why don't we move on a little bit from this point? And I think Craig was interested in talking a little bit about can we have trust without transparency? Craig, what do you think? Can you have trust without transparency? Probably not. Um, I, I recall uh, a recent organization I was working with and um, the, the upper management didn't have any transparency with, with the development teams. And I saw trust there just fall apart. You know, the developers didn't know if a project was going to be kept around, if the whole teams were going to be kept around. And, you know, people are looking for jobs, people are leaving, middle management is leaving, and it, it you know, you've, you've lost a lot of trust and you've lost a lot of good people. Uh, you've lost a lot of um, goodwill. And, and I think the productivity of all the teams went down as a result of that. There's, it feels like there's a certain level of transparency that, um, that companies are okay with. And, you know, you kind of have to have to come up with what's your actual level of transparency, because it would almost seem to me that being a hundred percent open and truthful. I mean, for the first, for, for, in the first case, I don't think you can always do that because of like, inside trading information things. I mean, there are things that man, that leadership just can't say because it could actually be like against the law at a transparency level about sales and projections and things like that. Right. But beyond that, it feels that would be like the most transparent you could be is to just lay it all out on the table and say, this is what's happening. But you know, do you, do you actually damage trust by being maybe too transparent? Is that actually a, sort of a, a thing that can happen where it flips upside down where it's like, Oh my God, I can't trust you because you tell me too much. <laughs> Is that possible? I can't imagine how that would happen. I, it, I, I can imagine a scenario, but I don't believe I've ever seen it. Basically you overwhelm people with information. And so they don't know what's worthwhile to consider and not consider. Um, so I know yeah, it but that's happen, a different problem than I've trust. S- well, well, but they're sort of faking trust by oversharing. Um, Amos is an overshare. Maybe he's building trust that way. Um, 
So I, I, I don't think I've seen anyone err in that direction. I think leadership oftentimes feels like they're doing the right thing by holding back information because they don't want to unnecessarily burden people with uh, worry about things. Or, or minutia. I mean, I've, I've seen, I've made this mistake uh, on teams too, where I think, wow, gee, the, the whole team doesn't need to go to all this other meeting over here because they don't, they don't really aren't concerned about it at that level, you know? But then it always seems to come back to bite me, not necessarily because they wanted to go to that meeting, but, but because they now didn't know information they really needed to know at some point. Um, and so transparency would have really helped at that point. And, uh, and I probably lost a little trust because the, the, the individuals in the, on the team didn't, get the information they needed. I I've had that situation myself where, you know, we did some planning or pre-planning with the three amigos with a product owner and analyst and, and engineering manager. And the team felt like they weren't getting enough information. And I wonder if our mistake there is not taking notes to bring back to the team with the important bits, because by the time you finish with the meeting, you're like, uh, yeah, I don't remember what was important there and you don't take things back to the team. I think that's probably what my mistake was in that scenario. See, I, I don't think there is a solution there, Craig. I don't think there's any amount of notes you could have taken that would have satisfied, uh, what people really would have necessarily taken out of that meeting if they had been there. What what we did was, and, and, you know, there's lots of feelings there that are, you know, words, unspoken words at, at those meetings too. What we did is we invited anyone that wanted to come to those meetings from the team. And this was a big team of, I think it was 11 or 12 developers and, you know, that's, a, or cover, that's a cover your ass uh, uh, move. The one where you invite the one where you optionally invite everybody. Yeah. Anybody can come if they want to, but well, some yeah. people had asked to come in because they felt like they weren't getting the, the input and the information. Um, and, and I kind of resisted, but I'm like, okay, if you guys want to be bored for another couple hours a week, the, the thing that I always try and look for as a watch out is I never want somebody to utter the words, why am I just hearing this now? I, I always think about as, as we're having, as we're scheduling to have conversations or preparing to have a conversation or having a conversation, I think of, is somebody going to be surprised by this information at a, at a later date? And, and one of the things that happened to me very early in my career was my boss told me, you know, make sure that I am never surprised by a piece of information. Like if we get a complaint from a customer, right? I never want the VP to go to my boss and say there was a complaint. It's much better if I go to my boss and say there was a complaint. Hey, guess what? We had a complaint today. Be prepared because this may get to the VP and then the VP comes to you and says, what, what was going on with this complaint? So the watchword was, you know, make sure that the person, people are never surprised by this information. I had a manager at one time. Uh, he was, I don't know if he was a good manager, but he was good in one way or, or he had a good way of thinking about this. He's like, don't let me find out you screwed up from someone else, especially upper management or, you know, management on his level from another team. Like if you screw up, let me know. I'll cut. He would, he would go to the ends of the earth to cover for you. If you told him that you screwed up. But if he found out from some other management, he would not. And it, it was kind of a weird 
thing to see those those two drastic differences just by but you know it's it's a matter of perspective i guess that's the kind of transparency that establishes trust and and that's when when you start to have that trust that's when you get kind of a an equal flow of transparency in both directions right where your 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 management your leadership is is being as transparent with you as they can be and in exchange you you trust them more and are being more transparent back to them so you it's like it's kind of like uh i don't know it feels like you you have to have transparency it's like the whole thing about you have to have credit to get credit well how do you get credit in the first place you know you, how do you get transparency in the first place without the trust if you haven't been transparent before and and there's going to be some rocky roads at the beginning of that because uh so take an example of a uh, team comes in, they're being completely transparent with their customers and with their, uh, their management. And they've got these metrics that they've been gathering for themselves. And suddenly now the manager or the, the users come in or the customers, whoever you're having the meetings with, and they want to know why did your, why did your velocity go down or why did your cycle time go down in this particular week? And now you have to explain yourself. And, but if they had had the trust then already, then they would realize that those metrics at that level don't really, aren't something they need to be concerned with uh, unless there's, there's uh, a, a trend, right? And, uh, and so I can see where uh, until you get that trust on all levels, there's going to be some fear and there's going to be some problems there of you having to explain these things to, to, uh, to your customer, to your management. Yeah. That's a good litmus test. I almost think that teams should, should put fake numbers up around places and just have the numbers kind of get, kind of get crazy frequency modulations so that people are, which is the right one where the, the numbers would go up and down a bunch. That's frequency, right? Lee, you, you probably know frequency or amplitude. I always forget oh, which one amplitude. So, so it swings real wildly and it, wait for them to say, why did that number swing real, real wildly? Cause that's what leadership people love to do is look at numbers and ask questions. Why is it different? Why did it trend differently over this time? Why is there this sort of modulation in the number? And you go, oh, those numbers are just fake. We just put them out there to see if you were paying attention. They, they teach that at colleges, <laughs> like where, uh, where Tice went. A way to build trust there, John. Right. Yeah. It's a test though. But with with your honesty, yeah, maybe that's not the best way to build trust, is it, Craig? <laughs> no, maybe not. You caught me. All right, so can we have safety without trust? I, I, I probably not. So I'm thinking of the the safety check that some people do at the beginning of a retrospective to make sure that people are willing to speak up, and, and I think actually that's really a, a synonym for trust. So I I don't think you can have safety unless there's some level of trust in a retrospective. I know that Lee has probably seen these before the stop work cards uh, that, that teams will have where it just simply says uh, safety violated or something and it's stop work. And anybody can take one of these cards in any situation. Well, the, the whole principle is I think it came from manufacturing. I'm almost positive that it did where, you know, there would be some unsafe working conditions and someone would, would, pull the and on cord was the old thing, right? Just pulling the and on cord. And this is the same sort of thing, but for knowledge workers where you see some unsafe situation and you throw down the safe safety 
safety work, safety check, stop work card. And, and I've seen places where they've had those cards. They all have dust on them and they have dust on them for decades. Right. And there's been all kinds of unsafe conversations, jokes, situations, etc. I've never once seen anybody call, you know, safety check, throw down the stop work card on something. I guess nobody wants to be like the narc or the snitch or the uncool kid, right? So I, I've never heard the term and on, and I looked it up, and it's Japanese word from a Toyota production system. Um, I was thinking of a big red button that you hit to, yeah, you know, stop a machine or stop a production line or or a data center, right. turn off the power of the data center, <laughs> right? Um, yeah, no, I that sounds like a good idea. Like, have some sort of button that when you press like the team needs to stop working and like hey we have a major production issue here or i kind of like that idea so so we have a couple of things that kind of serve those same purposes um one is just a turnaround the turnaround is essentially the thing that you you say that says hey we have something that the team needs to discuss right now um and sometimes that's something really simple which where somebody's just got a question they don't know who to ask so they're going to grab the whole team and ask the question real quick. Or it could be something really serious that we need to have a conversation for. Um, we also have a term called ELMO, which stands for enough, let's move on. <laughs> I like ELMO. Yeah, we thought about actually I getting a little ELMO doll. But... We did. I believe I was on the team that coined that term. Or oh, yeah? Started it. And we had an ELMO doll that someone brought in. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, but yeah, we've been using that too. And w- it doesn't get used that often, but that's also the, um, okay, this is going in a direction. We don't want it to go this conversation for whatever reason. Um, let's change the subject. Kinda. Yeah. It's call it, calling an Elmo. I, I think I like the Elmo, but for some reason it's stuck in the back of my mind that that's almost El- calling Elmo almost feels unsafe. What do you guys think? Uh, it's and throwing it's and throwing it, a little red card doesn't. And Elmo is for a conversation like it's usually at a at a uh, stand up actually when you know you're going back and forth and you're not making any progress. But but that's the primary use. But it can also be used. We kind of expanded it to it can be used to to stop a conversation. Oh, uh, yeah, for what yeah. for whatever reason. Now we haven't had anybody kind of use that except jokingly uh you know okay this conversation is going in a direction that we should not be going on uh going at it uh at work that's for a that's for a not at work conversation so somebody will oh that's an elmo you know in one way or another all of these things have to be established as a practice on the team right everybody has to agree that we're going to use elmo and everybody's going to be comfortable with both having having Elmo played on them as well as playing Elmo. Otherwise it, it is just somebody saying, shut up. Somebody saying STFU, right. And asking, telling people to get back to work. You, so you have to have established that safety. You have to have established that as a, um, as kind of an operating or working agreement on the team. That's funny. I never thought about Elmo being used in in a bad way, but (laughs) you guys have, (laughs) Opened my eyes to that idea. Well, there's always some way to twist it, right? People will always find a way to twist things around. 
Well, I think we've I think we've spurred a, a bunch of good thoughts and conversation around this, and uh, I'm I'm sure there'll be more to come on this in the future because this is something that personally, from my perspective, I constantly am challenged with uh, on teams to find ways to establish safety, to find ways to, as Craig said earlier, build the trust, and I think that's really part of the key is finding the way to build it and, and finding the ways to, to get everybody to a place where they're comfortable with transparency, both within the team and, and within the organization. Craig or Lee, any final thoughts on the topic? Yeah, I, I got to say that uh, for me, uh, how do you, how you begin that? Cause it kind of sounds like a catch 22, like we were talking before, right? That I can't have trust until I have uh, transparency and I can't have transparency unless I have trust, et cetera. Um, and so for me, I've never really been good at, uh, manipulating people. I guess that's a good thing. Um, but, uh, I, I have been able to use myself as the seed because it's, it's got to start someplace. And if, if one person on the team uh, is the example, then the rest of the team will follow eventually, uh, as long as you keep up with it. So I think as coaches, that's really our job is to be the example. I would just add that, uh, these topics are really important to a healthy team. Uh, if you don't have trust and honesty and transparency, your team's probably not going to function as well as it should be. This week's hottest picks. Up first this week with with his picks is Lee. Hey, so uh, I think tomorrow, uh, when from when we're recording this, uh, I'm actually going to be do going to do what I thought was a brand new thing for me. I've heard about these 360 reviews. Turns out this is a really old term, and we've been and I've been doing it for a long time, um, and didn't realize it. And what I was told was this brand new 360 thing is not what uh, is not exactly what I thought it was. So I went out and found some information. There's a couple of uh, of interesting pieces that uh, I'm linking to here. One is the fatal flaw with 360 surveys by Marcus Buckingham. That's out at uh, I think the Harvard Business Review, um, and a. NPR story by Yuki Noguchi, uh, peer review feedback, the good, the bad, the really ugly. Uh, so both of those are, are pretty interesting. So by the way, what we're doing with our 360 reviews is not what these things are talking about. Our 360 reviews is going to be like speed dating. So uh, a one-on-one -on -one conversation for three, five minutes uh, a piece and we give only constructive criticism. Uh, no, uh, don't don't give me the good stuff. Don't give me the compliments. I don't care. That's nice, but that's not what this is for. And we're going to do it as a speed dating thing all around for the team. Any, it's but it's also totally voluntary. Anybody that wants to show up can, but they have to be ready to get con uh, constructive criticism. That's really interesting. You'll have to provide us with some. Uh, some experience reports on that in a future episode, Lee. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I, I, I can't wait to see how it turns out. Okay, I'm going to go next with my picks. I've got a couple that are germane to our discussion tonight. A, a while back, uh, I, I came across 
somebody that was giving a presentation, and I think it was in an agile conference, and they kept talking about this site that you could go to to give them feedback. And I never really was catching what it was that they were saying, what the site was. It was like, say at me, this thing. And I was like, what are they talking about? And then finally, somebody else said the same thing and I found it. And it's called sayat.me. And it's a way to, uh, you can create your own spot out there with like your name or some distinguishing user alias that you have. And then you can give people that URL and it's a way for people to give you anonymous feedback. So if you're giving presentations or if you're working with people on a team uh, and you're in some sort of a leadership position and it's hard to get, it's hard, it's hard to get real feedback from people uh, because they're afraid, you know, of some of the things we've talked about, you can use the site to get feedback anonymously. So for all the listeners, if you want to give me any feedback about how I'm doing on the show, anything at all, how, you know, my agile advice, go out to say at me dot, or go out to say at dot me slash John Sextro, and you can give me free anonymous feedback. And my last pick, I mentioned Josh Karievsky, and I mentioned uh, Modern Agile, the thing that he's kind of pitching and, and working on developing. He's, gonna, he's got a full court press planned for uh, Agile 2016 coming up soon. And they've got a, a website out there. It's kind of you know just getting started, but there's a Slack community as well that you can join. You can find out more about that at modernagile.org. All right, Craig, what do you have for your picks? All right. Uh, my first pick is a TV show called Penn and Teller Fool Us. Uh, I've liked Penn and Teller, the magicians, for a long time. I think I saw them on Saturday Live in probably the 80s. Um, and uh, it's a TV show where magicians come on or other people come on and try to try to fool them and, you know, do a trick that they don't can't figure out how it worked. So uh, my TV was on the fritz and it got fixed and that's what I put on. Um, my other pick is an article I wrote, um, a week or two ago, and it's called, you don't have to be right. And so the impetus of this was a job interview, uh, a while back. And they asked, how do you convince your teammates that you're right? And I, my answer was, I don't. And so how I came up with that and why I don't care about being right as much as I used to. Uh, it's a bit of a story. So I wrote a blog entry about that and uh, it's been pretty well received. So that's my pick. Great picks. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. You can find our show notes out at our home on the web at thisagilelife.com. Thanks for listening and keep living this agile life. This Agile Life is brought to you by a community of agile developers and coaches aspiring to spread the word about this groundbreaking approach to software development. Join us at thisagilelife.com forward slash community.